Um, but the companies that are doing interesting things that I like a lot, there is a company in Brazil called SCCon. They've developed one of the coolest use cases, a solution for the federal police to monitor deforestation. But they'll cue a helicopter with commandos that will go out and blow up the equipment. Like, I just thought it was an exaggeration. There is a video of this. It is not an exaggeration. Hello and welcome to the New Space Vision podcast sponsored by LiveU, where we discuss new space technology, finance and innovation with executives, founders and more exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Sven Pschivara. And I'm Dani Seidel and together we are the founders of LiveU and New Space Vision. Joining us today is our very own John Atkinson, uh, who is the LiveU's chief product officer. Hi, John. Hey. So you join us here today in, in Berlin. Um, and our guests will learn a lot about Earth observation. So when we talked to our board about hiring you, I told them there are a handful of people on the planet who know as much as you about the Earth observation ecosystem. Because you have seen partners, suppliers, startups, um, and a lot of customers, right? At your time at, at Planet. Um, and you also have basically been in one of the hottest companies um, in the Earth observation industry, which is Planet, in the past years. So I am really, really looking forward uh, to have you on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are going to be a, a couple of very interesting nuggets here in this podcast for anyone who's interested in the space economy and Earth observation in particular. So at the beginning of every podcast, we want to learn a little bit more about the person we're talking to. And so as already mentioned by Daniel, uh, you have worked at Planet. But before that, you worked in a, in a lot of different companies, uh, mainly in the Bay Area, ranging from um, re, like IT security, software, and, and then the space sector. Uh, what has motivated to move into that direction? So I think it, it just maybe it's in the water. <laughs> in, in like the Bay Area generally, but like I, I was born in San Diego, but but moved uh, moved to the Bay Area when I was really young, and uh, I was lucky enough. My my father was a was an engineer and was very like when computers were coming around, he was he personally was very interested in it, um, and that kind of you know in in an, in an insolent child type of way, he would bring computers home, he'd try to show me stuff, and then I would show that I knew more than he did or what have you, but. Um, I decided that, that with my career, you know, when I was in college, that I, I was really drawn to political science. But I'd grown up in, a, in an environment surrounded by, by tech, and, and it didn't leave. So when I ended up getting back to DC and getting involved in, in the political world, I mean, these are, these are people that are very well-meaning, you know, political consultants, political campaigns, and, um, you know, and staffers for the House of Representatives. But... They're using mainframe systems and, and like emails a foreign concept. And so in one role, you know, I was doing communications, political communications, dealing with, you know, the media by day. And at night, I'm trying to get systems work, you know, systems hooked up together so we can, you know, do, you know, blast faxes because that's what yeah. the technology was to our supporters to make sure that everybody was on message and linking together databases of, of media contacts. So we knew who we were going to contact when we were doing what in, in, a, in a given area. Uh, and I moved from there, like all of a sudden, like the internet was a thing. Moved from there to the House of Representatives. Um, 
somehow talked my way onto the team that was building www.house.gov, which was, you know, at the time, you know, when before like Yahoo was really Yahoo, yeah. there were a handful of sites that people went to. Yeah. And like one of them was that site and it kept falling over and like, you know, self-taught autodidact around this stuff helped engineer that to make it a little bit more scalable. And that, that whole thing got me started in this, in this world of internet and technology. And, you know, I had my, founded my first startup back in 95. We developed one of the top 100 websites of 1996. It was like <laughs> when you could do that, yeah. you know, it was just like three guys yeah. and then you could, you could do these, these things. Um, what, what was the purpose of the website? It was to promote a radio show. Ah, and nice. um, it wasn't like most visited. It was like PC Magazine did yeah. this thing. And yeah. what we did that was different than, than like any other site at the time that was doing anything related to radio shows, we had a poll. Okay. Like, and it was written in like Tickle TK yeah. where, you know, the producer would type in the poll question of the day and then people were encouraged to go and, and yeah, vote Perfect. On. But, you know. There was no security built into this thing. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm certain that anybody with 15 minutes could have could have hacked it nowadays. But it was this era when you could do that kind of that kind of stuff. Uh, and once I realized that, you know, as some, you know, some kid from the Bay Area with a background in political science could build things that other people cared about, you know, that's what I kind of built my career around. Um, you know, Next Card was a you know, an online bank where we developed the, the first 30 second approval for a credit card. Like before that, no one had ever been there or done that. Yeah. Um, when I started at the company, I was the seventh employee. They didn't have anybody who was thinking about like speed and making it performant. And so the, the model was modems. Like you dial up a credit bureau over a modem and then you scaled by adding more modems. <laughs> um, How big was the company when you left? You know that? 350? So from mm -hmm. seven em employees to 350 yeah. during the time. And then you, you also went into the, uh, like, basically 20 years uh, roundabout in the Bay Area and technology yeah. companies, right? So yeah. uh, um, uh, BMC, for example, right? Oh, yeah. BMC was a great experience. It's yeah. a great experience. And then at some point in time, you, you decided, uh, I will go uh, to, again, something new, which uh, may have never been done before in that, uh, uh, you know, with, with that specifics it was planet so what made yeah. you basically go there so i actually got a phone call from um, a friend of mine that i worked with at at bmc and he'd been posting back when i still had a, a you know when i was still on facebook uh he'd been posting these pictures like satellite pictures and i'm looking at what he's doing i have no idea like what it is i'd gone to the planet website and I really couldn't figure it out um and we talked we talked a bit he's like i got this opening and i think you're you're perfect for it um And then he sent me a few videos. And one of the videos that he sent me was this uh, clip, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it was um, a 60-minute story that they did on Planet. And uh, it, it sort of talked a little bit about, you know, Earth observation and spy satellites, but then how, how what Planet was doing um, was sort of changing the paradigm. And they were really focused on the small sat, you know, yeah. CubeSat capability. But I'm looking at that, I'm like, this is a monitor for the entire planet. And I asked um, Garrick Valentine, is the, the, the friend who, who called me, 
ask them, like, what's the killer use case? Like, they don't know. They haven't figured it out. Which, for me, I mean, that's a hell of an opportunity. There's, there's this massive capability, but no one's really cracked in that as to, as to where that value is. Um, and and from, from where I was sitting, I'm looking at this like, it's a giant change detection system at a global scale that is, it's applicable everywhere. Um, yeah. It's yeah. there. Which is not a direct uh, description of what the real killer application is, but yeah. it, it may go a bit into but, the but direction But that's the thing, also. it's like they've got this platform that, you know, of data. And that's the, like, what can you do with it? I don't know. And, and there the uh, John Atkinson uh, uh, pattern detection was jumping on because uh, you mentioned, oh, it's a global monitor. But uh, for the people who know John, it is uh, important to know that um, you also worked on uh, incident monitors for IT systems. Right? Yeah. And um, also when you joined us at Life, you, you very often uh, compare uh, like systems like here, right? Because people uh, don't care about seeing imagery on a daily basis. They don't want to look into these images. They just, they just want to get notified when something is happening, right? Yeah. But here also, I think when, when you go back uh, to, to your time at, um, at Planet, you know, there are so many applications that this is also a very, very big challenge. Um, we're going to dive deeper into this uh, yeah. details and later in the, in the product live your where uh, the listeners today have the chance to not hear it from Sven and me. John will <laughs> pitch live your product and we're going to ask questions as, as if we don't know it about also in the ecosystem. So maybe um, let's talk a bit about your, your, your early months in the space ecosystem. Was it an easy transition for you? Yeah, I knew nothing about <laughs> like space, anything. And I think that that actually was a was an advantage for me because I could look at I could look at the problem and look at what we were doing from a from a more objective position. And I, I I've hired a you know a number of people when I was you know when I was at Planet and, and here at LiveO that that don't come from the space industry because they're not looking at space from a space is cool standpoint because yeah. space is ridiculously cool yeah and but, you want to build satellites if you can yeah at least right? that, or that's an urge a lot of engineers have yeah and everybody yeah. wants to you know they want to attend a, a you know a spacex launch and they want yeah. to be part of this this whole thing and when you when you look at it from a different perspective like for for me when i when i came to planet i was looking at it through like what what enterprise value can be uncovered through this and or you know what social good yeah. can be uncovered if we have access to this data that's being used on a you know on a high frequency basis where we can analyze things that were collected that we didn't know we needed to look at yeah. right? again I, and I'm going to keep going back to it I think that's the most exciting thing about planet is they've got this data set that goes back so far right you find something that's interesting today you can figure out like how did it get to this over the past you know five or six seven years yeah, yeah. And there was uh, also one, one thing about um, that what I found interesting. Um, now we go, can go back um, like with, with Planet's product until 2016 for a lot of geography, more like 2017. 2017, yeah. Um, but also the sensors evolved over time. Like, was yeah. this also a thing for you? Like, why, why, why to join Planet because of this, uh, you know, approach, which is similar to the uh, agile software industry? Yeah, so, and, and I know Planet refers to it as agile space. Um, I look at it through a very similar lens right the mm -hmm. the capabilities keep improving and once so once you build this this capability to, to process imagery that's collected on a daily basis that's really really hard yeah adding sensors to it you're adding bands or or you know bringing in new sensors bringing in new strategies for 
um, for bring for getting the data down. All of these things cr help create this moat, um, which is very exciting for for Planet, but also they're setting this example for for other companies that are building. You know, they may not be building the same the same constellation from a um, you know passive collection of the surface of the of the planet every single day, but they're using it to build you know their constellations for SAR, their constellations for for high res or or some you know super high res that that I've seen. We'll see where they end up, but but there is so much innovation that's happening in this industry, and I. I wonder how much innovation there would be and how much funding there would be if it wasn't for the success that Planet had yeah. with you know their mission one and getting to where they are. Absolutely. I think uh, that's also why I have one of their stickers here right on my computer. Next and to the Live year one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, next <laughs> to the Live year one. And you have two Planet stick. I also have Pella two is also there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. As we, as we want to advance in the direction of what Live year is doing, maybe you first tell us what it, have you done at Planet then? What was your role? So I ran uh, the global partner ecosystem. And so you have seen a lot of partners, it seems like. I think I've seen all of the partners in which way, shape, or form. And this is this is one of the reasons why we thought uh, when we were looking for a CPO, they are, they are, as Danny already said, there are very few people who have seen so many plays in the ecosystem and from there can also extrapolate what's missing and maybe what is a, is a good threat to, to um, take or what's a good direction to take to Rebuilt a built a winning company in that space. So we already touched on your role here at LiveView, but maybe in your own word, what are you doing here at LiveView? Yeah, so I run the product organization, <laughs> and and what's interesting about about this role, and when you look at it in the, in the through the prism of this industry, um, there aren't a ton of people that do what I do. Um, most of the geospatial partners that we dealt with in, in, in the planet ecosystem, but also they're the same partners that are in the Airbus ecosystem, the Esri ecosystem. A lot of them are, um, they're organized around, you know, they may be Esri partners, but they're building sort of, they're delivering a, a product, like yeah. a, not, a, not a product in my context, but they're, they're delivering a work product at the end of it. So if you're, um, if you're trying to do some analysis of, you know, changes that have happened in Berlin over yeah. the past four years. You might employ the services of, a, of an Esri partner that can help you do sort of change analysis on, on these, you know, on a, on a couple images to give you a sense of what's, what's changed or what's different. But we're, what we're building is, is different from that because it's more of a, um, I, I've used this term, I used this term earlier today, it's, we're, we're building like an insight factory where there is automation that is delivering, you know, delivering these insights that are, and I hate to use this term because I, I, I think I told you when I was, you know, I started here that I, the, the actionable insight is being so overused in the industry, but it's true. We're developing these insights that then a user can say, oh, okay, I need to do this thing. And, and because we use high cadence data, you know, and, and, you know, Planet's one of those, but we're also, you know, we're also using lots of different sensors because we're, we're, we're focused on, on this cadence of delivery of insights. We're not really in that same Esri partner space. We have a partnership with them, but that's not what we're building. What we're building is something that's, that's bigger, that's um, repeatable, that's something you know, someone can sign up for and start receiving value in a short amount of time without having to enter into an engagement with what you know, what would effectively be a consultancy, yeah, right, and and there aren't a lot of companies like like LiveEO that are 
that are in this in this ecosystem. Yeah. There are more now than there were when I when I left Planet. There are probably more now than there were when I started at LiveEO. Probably more now than there were a month ago. But but they're not. When you look at that ecosystem of the hundreds of partners that you know I probably talked to over the three and a half years when I was when I was at Planet, maybe eight or nine. We're thinking about things in a in a real product. Um, how can I build like a SaaS offering yeah. type context? Yeah, yeah. This is something we 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 want want to want to dive deeper a bit. Um, so, um, you know, like we we also see a lot of project work in this ecosystem. And yeah. when Sven and I um, uh, joined the the industry, um, you know, we went to conferences and so on. We were really surprised about this 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 product. So, can you tell us a bit like what 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 Livey wants to do different in the products? Because an insight for me is also still very gener generic, right? So, can you can you like tell us a bit what what the problems uh, are out there in the world which Livey is solving? So, you know, I'll I'll take the the sort of the the lead product that we have today. If you know, if someone asks me, well, what do you guys do? You know, the 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 customer set that we or the customers that we work with right now uh, the most are in the energy industry, power transmission. And distribution, and for them, they've got they've got some very interesting problems. They've got a lot of infrastructure, a lot of assets, and these things are are at you know at scale. They've got thousands of kilometers of of transmission or distribution lines uh, out there. And coming from California, where we've dealt with we've dealt with large fires caused yeah by uh, by our, our electric company. I'm not going to name any names, but we all know who they are. But we, we, I know that, that the pain that they have around identifying what's happening in their right of way, what, you know, what dead, dying trees are, you know, could be affecting their distribution or transmission, this is a real problem for them, and it's a real problem for the people that live around that infrastructure. We identify areas where uh, assets are at risk because of, at the moment, vegetation growth, But there are other capabilities that we're that we're building, um, but we're identifying where this risk is and helping those those um, transmission and distribution companies mitigate and remediate that risk yeah. by applying. So so not only do you know where the risk is and what the risk is, but you know what needs to happen as a next step in order to fix it. Yeah. Right. When and and how, and then um, close the loop on that inside of the workflow. And you can use our workflow solution or you can integrate with a third-party workflow. But but in this context, it's it and this is the value that I see for companies like LiveEO is we're solving a problem, a real industry problem that that you know causes outages, causes deaths, right? Um, causes massive lawsuits, insurance payouts. It's a real problem that we're solving where the um, the person that's actually or the, the company rather that's getting the value doesn't have to know anything about space. They don't have to know anything about satellites. They just have to know this is what risk we see. This is why we see that risk. You know, this is this is the level of risk that we've assigned to it. Yeah. These are the number of assets that are affected by this risk. And, you know, go and do it. That's then triggering a workflow by somebody who never has to look at a space picture. They're getting a, a work order. They're getting a work order at a location and like here's some trees that you need to cut down and, and go and yeah. go forth. But no one in this in you know has to. Be yeah. an expert in space, but so you mentioned the use case of vegetation management. You yeah. said that that's the prime use case for life. You, I would agree. At least that's the biggest one. That's the one which we started with. Yeah. And when we started in 2016, 17, I still want to write this article. 
um, about the, the beginning of LiveView, there was no other company. Um, but is yeah. LiveView only building vegetation solutions for infrastructure no. operators? No. What else is the product organization at LiveView building? Yeah. And which direction are you taking LiveView? So the you know vegetation management, there are lots of ways to look at that. So the, con the context that I just said is I need to cut a tree because it could grow into a power line. It could be dead. A windstorm could come along and knock the power line down. There's other ways of looking at that same data in the context of risk around fire. So specifically, what's the fuel load that's happening on the ground? Um, you know, what is the diversity of the veg or what type of vegetation is inside of my right of way? Different vegetation burns at different rates. It carries different risk. Um, when you think about that that whole uh, the the power industry, I'll use um, an example of co-use. So imagine uh, or third-party risk. Uh, depending on the, on where you're where you're where you're physically located and what industry you're 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 in, but imagine a backhoe um, or an excavator doing work under a power line. I've seen dodgy work happening under power lines. If someone's doing construction and it's inside of my right of way and I don't actually know about it, man, wouldn't it be great if there was a, something that would tell me, hey, there has been a change in in what's happening on the planet inside of this right of way that you're asking me to monitor. And in this case, what used to be, you know, trees and brush is no longer trees and brush. Yeah. That'll trigger the, 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 the customer to go in and look at it. So we're looking at change in those, in those types of ways. We're looking at, um, okay, well, if we can look for change like that inside of a right-of-way, so where there was vegetation, now there's no more vegetation, where else can you use that capability? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would say rainforests is a good, a good area for that, or other protected forests, or... You know, even uh, the, the timber industry itself or, you know, consumer product goods that are or companies that are trying to comply with the, the new EU regulations for around deforestation free products. If we have the ability to identify where there were trees and or was vegetation and now there's no longer vegetation, how we apply that capability, the use cases, you know, they're out there yeah. and, they're, and they're waiting for, for companies like us to make it easy yeah. to consume that data. Yeah. So um, uh, w one thing uh, w which we always uh, also think of, you know, you mentioned all the opportunities out there which you can tackle with cellular data. But um, what we also learned is it's very hard to tackle them all at the same time because it's very complex to build the real scalable product. Right. Yeah. So what is your take on this? So uh, and you guys, you guys know this, but for the for the. Um For the listeners, I think space is really cool. I think solving space problems is cool. I think there's a ton of problems you can solve using um, geospatial data, but people that are going to subscribe to your service or buy your offering are buying it because it's delivering value, which is why on the on the product team, we the, the first thing I asked the product managers to focus on is value. Talk to me about, and this is a, a value framework that I learned when I was at BMC, but Talk to me about the current state in this industry. How does it operate? And you know what is good and what is bad about it? Where there's pain, talk to me about those negative consequences. Why is this pain important? Right? If a company's doing something in one way, and, and we can use transmission lines as, as an example, so if a power company doesn't have visibility into what's happening with the vegetation around all of their assets, then they miss fuel load issues. And if they miss a fuel load issue and a windstorm kicks up, a tree, a, a branch blows from a tree 
hits a power line, causes a spark. That spark drops, hits brush underneath it. All of a sudden, you've got a really big problem. So in terms of that level of pain, that's pain right there. Yeah. And then taking that uh, and then coming up with that future state. So we've got a problem, negative consequence, future state, positive outcome. And then what is it that we need to do in order to get to that future state and have yeah. customers realize that outcome? And you went now very deep in this one use case. And yeah. this, I think, is the, the key essence. You know, you have a product team who needs to understand the specific customer, etc. Now think about the typical size of a product team, right? And it's not, not, not thinking about the underlying architecture and technology yeah. you need. That shows you need a lot of people just to solve one problem here. And um, what, we've, what we've also seen is um, if you now want to go horizontal uh, and you have 100 people, um, who is your end user? It's the developers out there. It's yeah. not not the utility typically, yeah. and, right? And you can't when you're building the product for the for a developer, right? That's a different product, exactly. and it's got different yeah. requirements, and and the experience is going to be different. How does the, you know, how does the developer access it? How do they use it? Uh, and and I look at the at internal systems in the same way, right? So if we're if we're building a system that's going to be relied on by another group, it should have. You know, maybe it doesn't have the same marketing, right, or the same, uh, um, you know, market approach or pricing associated with it, but it still has to have, you know, an API contract that basically says, yeah. this is what the service is that we're going to be developing or delivering to you. We may make changes behind the scenes, but what shows up in that API is going to be consistent. So you as a, you know, as a consumer of whatever that data is, then you, you will have the ability to, or you can trust rather, what it is that we're delivering will not change and if there if changes do come you know you build in you build in that change management and, and around it so that's there's no like yeah. shock if and, a change happens and like these horizontal platforms we just see on the image acquisition side right up 42 skywatch yeah. we, we have the podcast with them so that's that's something uh, which is working right now but they are also not our competitors one question we got asked uh, very often in the past years and i think you are the best one to ultimately right now eliminate <laughs> this uh, thought in the industry is planet a competitor to life you no why not no planet doesn't solve a problem in this case for the for the in energy industry, but they don't solve problems specifically themselves. In fact, I, I used to say this a lot to, to partners, you know, Planet doesn't solve problems, it causes problems. Because where, you know, an Esri partner or, you know, a GIS analyst maybe used to be getting one image every, you know, every year or two or three. I was actually talking to a, a guy who was a, he was a, in, in a, he was a town manager in Wales. And he would get new aerial imagery like every seven to ten years. And they would use that imagery for all of their analysis for that entire period of time. Now imagine you're the guy responsible for for doing the 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 analysis of imagery for a city. And you're used to getting imagery once every few years. And then all of a sudden it starts coming every day. What do you do? Yeah. Right? This isn't a solution, yeah. this is a this is a problem. But that's the opportunity for companies like us that can consume that data, that can work with it and, and get the value out of it that's meaningful for the, uh, for the user. But why is Planet then not building these uh, uh, end-user applications? If gonna you, be, you, are they going to build 1,500, 3,000 of them? There's a lot, right? You think of all of the use cases for geospatial data. I mean, you, everybody listening to this podcast uses geospatial probably on a daily basis. And in some cases, they don't even know about it, but they are. And 
if you're if you're planet you're trying to build all of these these vertical solutions where do you start and where do you stop yeah i've heard it uh, from um uh, another founder of, of an earth observation company uh, basically uh said logic it was uh they would need twelve thousand data scientists yeah and not just five you wouldn't know, it be better wouldn't it be yeah. better if you could if you could instead of solving all of these problems yourself you know build a company that could deliver a product that could be consumed by all, everybody that's trying to solve these problems exactly problems yeah. you don't even know about and this goes back to the killer use case for planet it's not a specific product right it's not a specific thing that they do it's that they have a platform that can be consumed by thousands yeah. of companies that With are trying to solve problems analytical ready data right so that's that's the key and that's the next step right yeah but obviously we're not only being asked about whether planet is one of our competitors but also about other companies and when we started the company we were quite surprised about exactly the competitive landscape uh, in the early years you already said that it's quite quite now uh, right now developing but Who did you see um, as a competitor, as someone in the market with LiveView when you you were not part of LiveView? Yeah, not yet part of LiveView. So the, the companies that I thought were really, really interesting when I was at when I was at Planet LiveView was was one of them. And I still still remember when you guys walked in the office back what, 2019? 2019 in right? San Francisco, yeah. Um, but your companies that are doing interesting things that I that I like a lot. So There is a, a company in Brazil called SCCon that um, they've developed one of the coolest use cases for planet data that I've seen. Um, and actually, they, they did these videos for, for COP26 uh, in Glasgow. And I used one of these videos during, during a, a presentation that I gave to the, the entire planet. And it's on YouTube. We're going to put it to the yeah. links well, uh, I'll, of I'll, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. But they, what, what SCCon developed, this company in Sao Paulo, they developed a, um, a solution for the federal police in Brazil to monitor deforestation. And in, um, at Planet, a lot of times we talked about the, this concept of tip and cue, where you could use PlanetScope to identify like some kind of a change And then you could queue a high-resolution satellite to go and, and, and look at it deeper. I think of the same model even here at LiveEO. Like when we're doing work, we're doing tip and queue. In some cases, we'll get a tip from, from Planetscope, and then we'll queue a human being to go out into the field to do an mm, investigation, yeah. right? What, <laughs> what the federal police do is they get the tip from, from Planetscope, uh, and the system that, that SCCon built you know, uh, sort of consolidates some, you know, different property data and they, they see the deforestation and sometimes it's for a landing strip or uh, illegal deforestation for timber harvesting or illegal mining. But they'll queue a helicopter with commandos that will go out and blow up the equipment. There is a video of this on YouTube that they presented. And I'd heard the story from some of the people at the Policia Federal and like, I just thought it was, An exaggeration it is not an exaggeration so SCCon I, I, I think very very highly of yeah. Yar and Eduardo over there I think they're doing some amazing stuff um, another sort of adjacent company that I like a lot is uh, Space Now and I don't know if you've talked to to Jerry yeah, Jeremy yeah. or to, yeah yeah so Space Now very interesting company um, they they did a lot of product stuff or sorry um, 
uh, project stuff, but they also, you know, they have these capabilities that are that are very interesting for doing change detection. Um, they've done some stuff that I'm aware of that I can't really talk about, but it, but the change detection that they did was, you know, it's not often that that the guy who sees all of these products that are being built around Planet Data goes, wow, yeah, that's good. Um, another company that, and you've already had, uh, you've already had them on, but another company that I liked a lot is Skywatch. And what I like about Skywatch is they're thinking, they're thinking the way that I, I, I hope that other EO companies that are, that are, or data providers really start to embrace and think about, which is how can I, how can I deliver data for developers in a yeah. way that, that makes sense from their perspective without a remote sensing background to may first make you know an analytic ready data yeah I well guess. yeah so how do i yeah. and how do i get that and and maybe they've got you know some remote sensing background but maybe they don't actually want to ever look at a picture yeah right yeah. how can you and, and what I, I like their vision and i like how they're trying to um to sort of democratize the access to that um it's a tough it's a tough proposition trying to get all of these EO companies, you know, bought into it. Yeah. But more thinking like that is going to make it, you know, adoption of EO data that much yeah. you know, that much easier. And yeah. I think with the Skywatch and Up42 and their CEOs, there are two companies really which are up for the yeah. fight to exactly accomplish that. We definitely have to make sure that we also get the founders of um, uh, Space Now and what was the name Space of the? Space Now and as Secon yeah. exactly here on the podcast as well. It sounds super exciting and I'm definitely going to watch the video later. This podcast is sponsored by LiveView. LiveView's mission is to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data for humanity and life on Earth through AI. We are the global market leader in infrastructure monitoring and are bringing the power of satellite data analytics to other industries globally. Talk to us to find out how satellite data can benefit you and your company via podcast at live-eo.com. Sounds super exciting and I'm definitely going to watch the video later. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's jump a bit uh, deeper into the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. So we learned a bit about LiveView and also what, what, you, what you did before. Um, so... Um, on the weekend, I listened uh, to to a podcast, and there was a um, like a company which is basically which did um, the same as Lifey, like vertical a vertical application for a specific market, mm -hmm. and um, uh, now they want to build a satellite. Uh, um, they didn't call it constellation; they said a fleet. And now, um, uh, just a few days later, uh, Sven was telling me was that, that there's Arvin's. Huh? Did you was that Arvin's podcast? Um, yes, it was Arvin, where we also have a podcast with uh, with Lifey. We're gonna, you know, we have a lot of podcasts. Yeah. That's right on yeah, already. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. So no, so listener, if you didn't listen to the podcast with Up42 Skywatch, uh, Aravind, listen to it. No, just uh, let's let's go back. So basically, um, what uh, a couple <laughs> of days ago, <laughs> couple of days ago yeah. I completely lost track. So a couple of days ago, um, after I listened to the podcast, Sven came with another company which has a really cool uh, vertical product, and they also uh, announced they want to build a constellation. Um, and uh, yeah, what is your take on, um, you know, we talked about Planet being a competitor uh, or not. Um, they built the satellites and, you know, then they built the platform, but we didn't see that they built end user applications. Now, the other way around, first you build an end user application, then you build satellites. Um, what, what do you think about uh, this, um, uh, like, I'm gonna upstream? Your, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Why do you think that an analytics company 
would want to build their own satellites. Because it's cool. It's cool. It is cool. Yeah, yeah. But but they're not able to get any data. So, right? So when they try to task something from, from the, some of the incumbent providers, they can't get the data that they need because either the capacity isn't there because it's being used by something else for someone else um, or it's just too damn expensive to get it. Right? So, and also there's the third part, which is companies that, that are providing that imagery, you know, that run those fleets can be very hard to work with. Yeah, but I, what's very also very hard is building hardware and launching it up into space. Yeah, they're going to have I a, would they're going to have a, they're going to have yeah. an awakening when it yeah, comes exactly. down to that. But I can understand the motivation for wanting to do it. So so the question here, okay, oh, that, that's uh, maybe let's spend a few minutes on this topic because it's a, it's a hot topic in yeah. the ecosystem right now. So what you said, so I think today you can um, buy a service, right? Satellite as a service. Uh, there are a lot of companies. I just uh, um, was in a, in a few calls uh, with this um, in the past week. So um, I think if you, you, it's easier today to, to own a satellite I'm not talking about developing and building the satellite to own a satellite then building the analytics on top of it. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, coming with a lot of capital and that's that's the thing. And uh, one thing uh, I, I want, uh, want want to talk also to the, to the listeners um, like uh, you know the interesting thing is in the reasoning of these companies to build their own satellites they mentioned a few things um, which which uh, surprised me. So for example, they basically um, say yeah you know, if you're dependent on a Sentinel-1, for example, and it, and it, and it breaks, you Which have a happen. problem. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, your own satellites can also break, then you have an even bigger problem, right? right. So right. that makes sense to you. Uh, 100%. But, but so I look at it from a different perspective. If there were infinite numbers of imagery or other, you know, um, geospatial uh, satellites in orbit, would any of these companies, like any analytics company, build and launch their own constellation right is there something that they're doing on that you know on that satellite that is so different from what they could get if they were using another commercial provider mm. and i don't think the answer is yes i think they just their their issues are more around um being able to control access to what ultimately is their fuel right so if you, if you think about what a what an analytics company needs and even companies like us need so you need, you need that data. You need that data to power the solutions that you're building. And if you can't get easy access to that data, then your next best solution is to, to build your own constellation so you can control the access to your data. And the question here really is whether this is so easy or whether exactly the tight well, resources. I don't think it is. Exactly. And, and maybe that's... that's, like, that's people don't understand think, how hard it was for Planet yeah. just to process the amount of imagery they're, they're getting from the, the Planetscope constellation and you know optimizing optimizing a, a, you know, a, a tasking constellation. These are really hard problems. And, and this is another thing, uh, like another statement I heard in this podcast was basically that um, the platforms which are out there, they didn't build the analytical ready data and had artifact and so on. Yeah. And, and I was again thinking, um, yes, and you will have the same exact same problem with your satellites. Your satellite's not going to give you analytic ready data and you're going to have the problem that every other satellite you know, operator has. 
Yeah, and and also, why should you be able to if you know you you build end user applications? So you have to manage this. You have to build the hardware, operate the hardware, and now you also have to build the software platform around this. Um, so this for me is just uh, a lot of complexity. Why why should you think that you you master it end to end, right? Why 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 are why you in a better be vertically position? Integrated? Yeah, yeah. And, and why you're in a better position than um, you know having a more specialized ecosystem? I know James from Skywatch. I had a lot of discussions with him on on, on a boat uh, on a Skywatch party, uh, <laughs> and it's always the best things. And and he also said in a you you have seen it in other industries outside of space when it's getting made sure you see. Uh, in the virt in the value chain, you see, you know, like special specialists, um, and you know they commoditize the specific part. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so so that's. I just keep thinking about you and James and T Pain on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T Pain <laughs> on a boat. Yeah. So, um, but now um, I always try to take a counter perspective, you know, because I mean. Sven and I have a hardware background, like we, we have a bias to build yeah. satellites, right? But yeah. I always come to the same conclusion. Um, there are so many data sets out there. And also what, what we see right now, um, ISI now wants to build a wildfire solution with their satellites. And for me, this doesn't make any sense, but they have such a bonding to the insurance industry and the insurance companies, we talk to insurance companies, right? They want to have a wildfire insurance. Yeah. So they now have to build a wildfire insurance based on radar data, which doesn't make any sense. But they have the lock-in to their own asset. And we don't as life, right? We can just right. go to another hyperspectral or whatever sensor. So um, I think... Yeah, but the downside. So isn't there a downside to this? Yeah. So, so to the listeners, right? I know there are a lot of experts listening to this. If you want to convince me that it makes sense that life you should build satellites, please write us. Uh, and we're going to jump into a call, promised. But so, so think about the problem that, um, you know, if you're, if you're building your own constellations and a, as an analytic yeah. company, how long, you know, how, what, what do you think that, how long do you think are you going to build that for? Like, what is, how long is it going to take for you to depreciate that asset? Yeah. Um, and while that asset is up there and you're learning how it works and you're getting all of the imagery ready to process, what other sensors are being launched? Yeah. yeah what other solutions point, are coming yeah. out and what are you going to miss out on because, you know, you're locked into your own you know, to your own product. The time to and market is extended. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I like the flexibility and the options, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, full. But exactly, let's, let's maybe go away a little bit from building your own satellites. I think like this is exactly another topic for, for itself where we can spend most probably, uh, could maybe have a discussion with maybe the founders of uh, that company That's around idea, that topic. Man. Maybe that would be interesting. Or with someone who listened to this uh, who will write us. Exactly. Um, this is one of the topics, right? Downstream companies launching their own hardware um, in orbit. What are some other trends in the Earth observation market you're um, you're observing? You know, the um, I'm going to overuse another term, but the fusion of data sets. Like the, I think what's what what the industry is realizing is that you know one data set isn't necessarily going to solve yeah. all of your problems, and bring together whether it's um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, imagery or optical data plus hyperspectral uh, or optical plus SAR, or, you know, in some cases, you know, you're seeing aerial plus um, plus satellite uh, being brought together. I mean, even if you're looking at Google Earth, that's that's aerial and satellite being, being brought together. But um, I think we'll see more solutions that are built around multiple sensors and sensor types yeah. that are that are delivering more specific more specific and more, you know, actionable uh, insights around that. Yeah, 
Yeah, so sensor fusion is one. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of sensor technology do you believe will make it um, through the hype cycle? I am really optimistic about hyperspectral. Hyperspectral? Yeah, because I think that the, um, the, the immediate use cases are there. Um, or the immediate use case for, for me is around, uh, around methane yeah. is there. Right? We know that, that we can pick it up. It's a matter of um, you know, what type of resolution yeah. are we actually going to have, right? And is that resolution going to be high enough um, that the industry will, will start to adopt it? Not just the regulators, right, who obviously care because wouldn't it be great to collect fines, no. but also the operators who, you know, wouldn't it be great to avoid fines? But the, I, I'm very hopeful for hyperspectral. I think hyperspectral by itself, again, it, it can create an interesting actionable data set, but I think the... Um, when you're trying to tell a story around it um, or understand what's actually happening. Like if you, if, you, if you see a methane leak with hyperspectral, right? Yeah. What other information do you think you might want? If you're, say, a pipeline operator and all of a sudden methane is appearing in a spot on your right-of-way that you're not expecting any leak to be happening, what else, what type of information could be useful to you? I mean, ground subsidence, ground deformation, right? right? The whole, right? right? So, so bringing these sensors together, the construction side with someone who's exactly. Doing them to so, the, third-party interference, all, and, and these are different ways of of sort of adding of adding value on top of you know there was a plume, now there's a, a plume and there's some ground movement yeah. that you've been able to identify, or there's a you know a construction site that you've been able to to see, or you know there's a, a road that has been you know that has been cut in. And, you know, it's people just trying to steal, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, gas, which is, you know, a huge yeah. issue, you know, on its own. So what do you think about infrared or thermal? Therm exactly, thermal infrared monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. So I, And maybe just directly touching on that satellites which fly super low, for example, which we at the very beginning of this podcast very briefly talked about this. Oh, yeah. Mentioned that. So I think that so on, on infrared, I think inf infrared is is interesting. But I think that um, I, I'm not sure that I would see what exactly that use case is that couldn't so, that, so that needs high cadence. Yeah. And on the, and with regard to the low altitude. Yeah. One one company which we also should get on the podcast. You're uh, from Germany, uh, Constellar, which I really like because they had really experts from a Fraunhofer Institute uh, Institute uh, on on thermal sensors. So they are really focusing on the sensor. Yeah. And what they say is basically an agricultural insurance uh, and uh, basically identifying yeah. diseases, that, that's a big advantage. Yeah. But um, I mean, let's see, right? One question regarding um, um, uh, hyperspectral. Um, do you think the hyperspectral sensors will actually um, uh, destroy the market for the specialized methane companies? Because GHG set is building a specialized sensor for methane where Planet says you can also do this with a hyperspectral. And by the way, we can also do a lot of other things with a hyperspectral sensor. Yeah, th there's a there is kind of a problem with hyperspectral, and it's not a bad like it's not a oh it's bad. Um, getting data down from a sensor that's able to collect lots of different bands can start to be a challenge. So you have to be even though if you you may you may have a sensor that can collect two hundred or you know mm -hmm. collect two hundred different bands. You're not going to be able to downlink all of that data if you're collecting it across everything. So they're going to there yeah. will be some selection around what what you use and what you don't. And maybe there are satellites that are collecting some and some yeah. that are collecting others. Um, 
I, again, I, I think that generally, like specialization is a great thing, yeah. especially if you're able to solve a real problem. And if GHGSAC can use that specialization around methane to to generate, you know, to get customers to generate a business and build momentum around other things that they want to do, they can fund that future development yeah. based on what they were able to do for that specialized market with that specialized sensor. And we need to get a methane company on the podcast. We hear um, like from customers out there. Methane monitoring is right now. Everyone wants it, but somehow the sensors out there right I'm now. I'm super optimistic, man. I really yeah. hope it works. I really, really hope <laughs> it works. Yeah, definitely. And Sven asked uh, also about the satellites which are flying very low, like Albedo, for example. Yeah. Uh, like we we talked to them when it was just the founders and basically says, like yeah. signing a letter of intent with them um, to support the ecosystem. So yeah. they want to fly super low. What do you think about that? Well, you know, you know they're going to refuel them, right? So yeah, basically their promise, and this is now opening up a bit, uh, you know, their, their promise is that there will be a space ecosystem with gas stations, like refueling stations in orbit, so they they just can, you know, get a get a refill um, every month or so, uh, so that they can fly in 300 something kilometers. It's a really hard proposition, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a promise on the bat. What what I say, and I I hope they prove me wrong. Yeah. What I say about these companies, I think um, this will work in 20 years. But I think specifically the case of Albedo is too soon, right? Yeah, and you know, in 20 years, I mean, if, if, if we could look back 20 years, could we see some of the sensors that we have today? Looking forward 20 years yeah. with the, I, maybe maybe they don't even have to be that low. Maybe they've, you know, we've able to, you know, we've, we've come up with technologies that are able to correct for atmospheric distortion and correct for, um, you know, the, um, if we can get, five centimeter data at a high frequency from outer space or sort of near Earth orbit, four to, you know, 400,000 or 400 kilometers up, maybe that's the answer. Um, but I, building an entire infrastructure around refueling seems very, very challenging. More power to them. Yeah. But it seems like a like you're relying a lot on, um, on launch partners to yeah. be able to deliver and the growth in that industry. But let's see, I think... I'm bullish on the uh, Leo economy, not only driven by Earth observation, but also yeah. in orbit production and, and a lot of other things. And I think once these things uh, collide, you will have uh, a demand not only driven by like satellites, which are monitoring the um, the surface of the Earth. So it's going to be exciting. And um, yeah, I mean, there are some investors. I think there are even companies on the stock market uh, which are exactly betting on the trend. Maybe that's too yeah. early. But anyways. It's interesting. And again, <laughs> more power to them. I, I, yeah, I love yeah. to be proven wrong by stuff. Yeah, no, so. me too. Yeah. But again, we are, we are, the Earth observation industry is so exciting. And at LiveView, we have the vision to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data for humanity and life on Earth. Um, in your view, what's, what are some of the key elements which are necessary to completely unlock the potential of Earth observation data for LiveView or any other company, hopefully LiveView? So starting with where the imagery comes from, um, right? Imagery needs to be ridiculously easy to consume. So so easy access to imagery, easy to consume. Right, but but you think you think about the um, the ecosystem today. That's it's not necessarily easy. Sentinel, yes, but commercial Earth observation, and you know this. It's really hard to get that data, and their motivations are different than motivations that are, you know, from you know from the the, the 
companies in that ecosystem that are really yeah. trying to solve complex problems. So super underestimated from most of the people hardest to get. So that point yeah. uh, we got. Yeah. What, what other aspects do you think, like let's assume, okay, we got the image uh, analytical ready data problem solved and tasking logistics and so on. Well, what other things do you think will, that will, will we need to happen to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data? And it's, I'm going to owe myself another dollar for saying this, but so the key to an actionable insight <laughs> is that someone is willing to take action on it. And I think one of the problems that we have today, and I don't know where that solution is, um, and it's, I don't think it's an Earth observation solution, but getting people to act on the data that we have, yeah, right, and getting them to act on the data that will come and the insights that will come, yeah, is that's the hardest part. Or you want to you want to make you want to drive Earth observation for the betterment of mankind. People need to care about what's coming out of it and be willing to do something about it. Yeah. Okay. So customer education. Some of it's customer education, maybe, but it's more will. Right. So the will to change how you're behaving or how yeah. you know a, an industry is behaving being willing to make that move first um you know coming from the u.s over the past i don't know six years um i've heard over and over and over that the u.s is regulating too much that there's too much restriction and china's not going to follow any of these regulations so why should we Mm. Right. And that's driven some of the deregulation that happened, in, you know, between 2017 and 2021 that, you know, hasn't always been great. But the, this motivation to to deregulate, 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 because other countries aren't willing to to regulate their own industry is bad for everybody. Mm. Right? And, and so when I mean the will to do something about it, we can have all of the earth observation in the world telling us that, you know, There's deforestation in Brazil. Thankfully, the Brazilian government is trying to do something about it. But imagine a world where they weren't. Yeah. Right? Imagine a world where we know that there's methane emissions that are happening all over, but what if they didn't care? Yeah. Right? So okay. that's when I talk about the will to do something, that's what I mean. This the will for, for people to, you know, and, and, and governments to take action yeah. on that data. That's the biggest gap. Yeah, that, that's you, you nailed it uh, with the last and uh, last word gap, right? So this is now also the big opportunity, uh, like coming now to an end to, to summarize, right? We have these new data sets, right? We have all these problems. Um, and and Sven and I very often also say that to tackle the biggest problems of this century, not this decade. Yeah. Um, Earth observation data from space will play a crucial role yeah. because you can't ignore anymore that, you know, There are methane leakages. You you see it, and everyone should see it, right? With with the data, you can't ignore that there is deforestation because we can map it from space. Yeah. Even if we can't enter the country, here we go. We can see it, right? And the more this goes into the public and this goes to people, I think that's the big chance. That's also what's motivating me yeah. every day. And right? it's so, the stories too, right? So yeah. so people, when when they see themselves in a story and they build this this emotional connection to what's happening, yeah. then you know there is more impact. And if we If we do a better job, maybe, of telling these stories and really, you know, showing how, you know, what's happening over here is, is, you know, impacting, you know, life in this other area, right? Unrelated to Earth observation, but we, we removed regulations on trains that would have required electric brakes for uh, trains that were carrying hazardous materials. Sure enough, we had a, you know, a train carrying hazardous materials 
crash in Ohio that if the regulation hadn't been pulled back, that train wouldn't have been on the tracks without electric brakes and would have been able to stop, right? These are, these are things that, that, like, we know, we know that there are regulations that are good, or else regulations that are bad, but there are regulations that are good that, are, that will lead to positive outcomes for everyone, but just making sure that, that um, you know, we, we communicate what that is. EO data is going to be part of that story, but, but crafting those stories that make an impact and backing it up with the data, right? Sorry, and I got a little philosophical. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's a perfect ending um, because I think what you just uh, wanted to say uh, that basically to unlock the full potential of Earth observation data, you need to be able to uh, uh, tell the value of the data and the value proposition of the products. And I think that's a, a summary for our CPO, uh, John Atkins at Liveio. That's what we live for. And um, thanks a lot, John, for this discussion. I think we, we dive deep into Earth observation. But um, I mean, people uh, out there, um, I hope you learned uh, something new. I'm, uh, uh, we're going to put a lot of material into the podcast, right? The link to the Brazilian. Um, I'm waiting for the image regarding the satellite constellation um, and a lot of links to other podcasts. Uh, thanks a lot, John. It was a pleasure. Before ending, one question. Who should be the next guest or the next guests which we should have on? All right. I have two recommendations, and they're both former colleagues of mine from Planet, but they have very different perspectives on this industry. Um, the first is Andrew Zoli, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer over there, and I think the world of Andrew. He sees lots of very interesting use cases, and you want to talk to, you know, about you know, sort of, um, you know, using EO data to make life better on Earth. He has some very interesting thoughts on that, uh, and he's been doing this for, for a long time. Second person, um, I'm very passionate about adoption of EO data and making sure that it's actually being used. I have this philosophy that if you capture an image and no one ever sees the pixel, did you really capture it? Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> but Mike Merritt, who is the chief um, customer success officer, I think, chief customer officer? Yeah, I think, I think that's what they called him, the chief customer officer. Uh, but he, he basically runs all of customer success for Planet. Yep. And his organization is responsible for uh, getting adoption uh, yep. of, of Planet data. But the problems that, that he sees are not just Planet problems. They're yep. industry problems. And I think it'd be a, an, an interesting conversation to talk to him about what are the challenges with getting adoption um, yep. to this data. Chief customer officer. I looked it up, yeah. Perfect. And we have two additional guests which we have to bring on. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, John, sure. uh, for the insights. If you want to learn more about LiveO and what we are doing, please make sure to check out our website, obviously, and our LinkedIn and Twitter pages. Um, and obviously, if you want to learn more about the new space sector, visit newspacevision.com um, or our socials. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And... Uh, no, I just wanted to say hear you next time, which is not true, but you hear from us during the next episode, which will come out very soon. Thank you very much. All right, uh, lift off and the clock is started. Lift off. We have a lift off.